this morning. Uh, we're going to read the whole psalm just now. Um, psalm 23, which is the Lord is my shepherd. Let's read God's word together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell. Um, it was, it's amazing how the Lord works and how the Lord, uh, the Lord moves in just in ways that, you know, we could never orchestrate even if we tried. Uh, as you know, my, as I said, my, my, my grand passed away uh, last week. And actually, uh, she managed to get home from the care home. And the last ever sermon she heard, you know, which is amazing, was uh, verse 4 from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Uh, and, you know, that, that is so true for, for that part of life. But it's not just a psalm, as we said a couple of weeks ago, for, that's to be taught, spoken up or, or, or preached at at funerals. You know, this is a psalm that is for all of our life. There is, there, is a, there is a season, every season that we go through in life, we can find something from Psalm 23 to bring us comfort, to bring us strength, to bring us hope. And this psalm, as I said, is a royal psalm. It's a psalm that, that, that the Lord is my shepherd. This isn't just about somebody out in a field, but the, royal, the royalty of this psalm about the, the Lord being our king and our leader, our shepherd, the one who leads us and guides us and protects us through the pastures, and through the valleys as well. Both the green pastures and the valleys are for his name's sake. And that's a hard thing to get our head around, that actually, for his name's sake, he's taken us through the last 17 months for ways we will never, ever, ever understand. But ultimately, everything happens for the glorification of his name, which is our chief purpose. It's why we live. It's why we breathe. It's to glorify him. Two weeks ago, we thought about how God doesn't just provide for us, but he also is present with us. How amazing is it to know that actually God isn't just somebody who tends to our needs, but he's actually, he's there with us. We've all had a family member who, you know, they only ever turn up at birthday times or Christmas times and they send you a card and they provide maybe money or, you know, socks or a deodorant at Christmas, whatever it is. But actually, all those things are nice, but you'd rather just spend time with them and, and be with them because that's really what we want. We are relational beings. And our shepherd is the one who is present with us that in the valley, we are promised his presence and we see that he's no longer just out in front of us, but he is walking beside us. You're with me, you're rod and your staff, they are there to comfort, to protect me. You guide me. And as we said, at the very center of this psalm is the Hebrew phrase, you are with me. It's the center of this psalm. There's 55 words in Hebrew in this psalm. And at the very middle of them, is this phrase, you are with me. This promised presence. 
that it's not just the central promise of this psalm, but it is the golden thread that runs throughout the whole of Scripture. It runs throughout the whole of Scripture. God's desire to be with his people is incredible. His desire and his passion to be with his people was so much that what? He gave his only son. That is how much he longs to be in relationship with us. That is the extent, the depth of his love. And the length he would go to so that he could be with us. He gave us Jesus. And the psalm begins with this metaphor about the Lord being our shepherd. The one who is there for us. But actually, in verses 5 and 6, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have this shift that happens in the metaphor that has been used. Now, don't ditch and don't forget the shepherd analogy and metaphor because it's central. It's really important. But there is this change, this wee shift where this new metaphor is being used about the Lord being a host. That he hosts us. The Lord who is our shepherd is also our host. We see in this psalm, David shows his utter confidence in God Three times that are are really visible and really clear. The first is when he says, I shall not want. He shows his utter confidence and his dependency upon God. He can say, the shepherd who is the Lord, I shall not want. And then he goes on and he says, because you're with me, I fear no evil. I shall not want. I will fear no evil. And then this last thing he says, nearly at the very last part of the psalm, and I shall dwell. I shall not want. I will fear no evil. And I shall dwell. He shows us how who God is influences our life. Who God is influences our life. I can say I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord, he's the shepherd. I can say I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. And I can say I shall dwell. Why? I suppose because of all that Christ has done for us. David says, God, you prepare a table before me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This preparation of a table, we have this image of God inviting David in. He invites David in. And in the Bible times, to eat with someone was a picture of real intimacy. It was a picture of of longing to be with someone. It was a picture of the depth of intimacy. So it's not just about, you know, inviting a, a random stranger off the street to come in and get a wee cup of tea with you. In this image that David is using, he is showing the intimacy that God has towards his sheep. The love that he has for his people. But also to sit at someone's table in the Old Testament was also a sign of loyalty. So we've got intimacy and we've got loyalty. And and often what you would do to show that you have secured a covenant with somebody was to invite them to what? Your table. 
So actually, in what David is showing here, he is showing the loyalty that God has, the intimacy that God has for his people, but also the commitment that God has within the covenant that he's established with his people. It is in God's covenant loyalty that he brings his sheep to the table. This banqueting table that scripture tells us, and the banner over it is what? Love. Intimacy, loyalty, friendship. But isn't it a bit strange that actually within this image that David shows about God preparing a table for us, it is in the presence of what my enemies. Surely if it was the ideal uh, and perfect come dine with me experience that I'm sure we've seen on TV. If there was enemies surrounded you at that table, you'd probably secure a pretty low mark in the ratings you would get at the end of the show. So why are there enemies present at this table that God is preparing for us? Because in this life, we still experience hardships. It would be false to say that, you know, there's no hardships that we in, have to endure. I reckon if I asked you, I'm not going to, don't worry, but if I asked you to put your hand up this morning, if, if there was some hardship in your life, if there was something you were struggling with, if you were feeling oppressed or oppression in some way, I'm sure most of us would put our hands up. If not physically, we would go, yeah, that's me in the quietness of our hearts. But even in the midst of your enemies, know this. The shepherd is still preparing a table for you. He's still preparing a table for you. He is still anointing your head with oil, which shows the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the sanctification that happens within the life of the believer. God is still anointing us, even though we go through hardships, even though we've endured the last 17 months. And, and actually, in some ways, none of us would ever ex have expected it to have lasted so long. But also, as it says in Exodus, God is still fighting for us. He fights our battles for us. It's such a strange image, though, to think about this, this table that God is preparing for us, that, that it's in the presence of our enemies. Why does he not just get rid of them on our behalf? Because we still live in a fallen world. We still go through hardships. We still go through difficult times. But the amazing thing that we read here is that actually the enemies. They're at the side. You can, you can sense that when you read it. They're not at the foreground. It's this table that's been prepared that is the center picture of this image. We can have peace even in the midst of our enemies. Even when we feel surrounded that in God we have a place that is safe, that is peaceful, that peace that passes all understanding. That unless you've experienced it, we just can't explain it. Because beyond human comprehension. But also, it is bountiful. It is in abundance in the place that God is preparing for us. Let me say this. That you are safe in Christ this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus. No human experience that you go through in this life can steal your heavenly inheritance. You can be surrounded 
by all the enemies in this world. But nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Remember, this is just on the other side of the valley. We've just finished verse 4 with the valley. But we don't just survive the valley experience. But actually in Christ, we come out victorious. New Testament tells us we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. The valley of the shadow of death has been walked through. And actually, maybe spiritually, we're going through it just now. And let me tell you that there's a day coming where you will leave the valley of the shadow of death. But also physically, like I said, my gran, she was listening to these words. And actually for her, she's now living the fullness of this verse as she is experiencing the glorification that comes for the followers of Jesus Christ. We've not just survived a threat in Jesus, but we've triumphed over it through the Lord's strength. Then David says that my cup, it overflows. I'm sure we've all been to someone's house. Maybe it's just Becca and I because we like our food. I'm sure we've all been to someone's house where, you know, you say your goodbyes and you think, man, I'm still a bit peckish. We, uh, and this is maybe you can just take this as a wee bit of a heads up, maybe if you ever invite us around for dinner. Thankfully, it's not been our experience in, in Sandy Hills thus far. But uh, one other time in, a, in another church that I, will, I wouldn't name, Beck and I went around to someone's house for dinner and then uh, we went for a McDonald's on the way home because we were still that hungry. And it was Becca's idea, not mine. And you can, uh, you, I don't know why you're laughing. Um, but our host, he, he isn't a host who just puts out a small spread for us. But actually in Jesus, there is an abundance. There is an abundance. He is the one who is abounding in love. When I went home for my grand's funeral, it was the first time that we as a, as a family, the kind of my mother's, my mum's siblings and all their children had been together for probably about seven years. We think it was seven years since we were all together, which was Becca and uh, my, my wedding. Uh, seven years uh, tomorrow we'll have been married. So please text me this evening to remind me to go and get a wee anniversary card. And no, I'm only joking. But it was the first time we'd all been together, so we thought on the Saturday evening after my grand's funeral, it'd be nice for all the cousins, there's 12 of us, including Becca, and we range from about the age of 10 through to 33, I think, and I hope I've not done my older cousin an injustice about her age. It was the first time we'd all been together. We thought, why don't we go and do something together? So we went down to one of the beaches, and we had a big bonfire. We took some marshmallows and sweeties and juice and crisps, and it was great fun. And thankfully, um, you know, the children that were there, the 10-year-old and that, they, they weren't my responsibility that night, so they, they ate as much sweets and marshmallows and s'mores as they, as they wanted to. 
And at the end of the night, um, we decided to, you know, dispose of the, the, the bonfire properly. There's nothing worse on an island where people come and they just leave a complete mess. So we, um, we'd taken buckets with us and, uh, to put the fire out so we could pick up the leftover charcoal once it had cooled down and put water on it and black bin bags and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we decided uh, at the end of the evening, we would send our younger cousins to go and um, fetch the water because you can do that when you're a bit older. You can get the younger ones to go and uh, do it. So off they went to go and get water to put out this fire. And we had, um, we were sitting, had a bonfire beside a wee stream that was here. And when I say a wee stream, it was, it was really just a trickle of water that was coming down that hadn't been raining that much. And, and behind them was this massive ocean. Where did they go to fill up their buckets of water? They went to this tiny little stream. And I was just standing there watching them thinking, you know, are they going to figure out that, honestly, for about five minutes, they were trying to position the buckets and the bottles, trying to catch the little bits of water that was running down. I was thinking, are they going to turn around and see this massive, vast ocean behind them and think, how much easier would it be if we just went there and just immersed these containers and filled them up and carried them up? Did they notice? No. So a couple of times went by and then we said to them, look, why don't you get into the water? Oh, that would be a great idea. And off they went down and it took a lot quicker and they filled it up and it was overflowing. So many of us in our Christian walk do what my cousins did. We live off the small trickles. We live off that little stream that we find maybe just on a Sunday morning. Maybe we just pray when we're feeling down and we need some sort of help. And actually we forget there's a vast ocean of God's love and mercy behind us. If only we immersed ourselves in it. Don't live off that small stream. But dive into the riches and the abundance that is yours through Christ Jesus. And in this image of this cup overflowing, David shows us that I have more than I need. I have more than I need. That in God we have everything. We have everything. This is a key lesson that we as the church need to learn and live out. That actually everything we need is found in Christ Jesus. Everything we need. And when we learn this truth, when we know this truth, that everything we need and more is in Christ, we can learn, like the Apostle Paul, the secret of being content. I don't think there's ever been less content people in this world than there is today. Lord, teach us the secret of being content with Christ Jesus. But also this cup, it, it is also, it points prophetically to the cup we see at the Lord's table. We have this theme of cup and psalms. We don't have time to go into this morning. Where the, psalm, the, the, the psalmist shows us this cup that, that speaks of blessing, but also salvation. And actually we can have that cup of salvation, that cup of blessing that overflows because of the beautiful exchange that took place. You see, there's another cup that Scripture speaks of. The cup of wrath. That Jesus asked his father to take in the garden of Gethsemane. And then he said, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. 
Our cup is overflowing only because the good shepherd, the lamb of God, the, the lamb that was slain for the world, because he drank the cup of wrath for me and for you so that we can say, my cup now overflows because of Christ Jesus. And he goes on, he speaks about this goodness and mercy, how it follows me. Goodness being the steady kindness of God is another way to render that word. We read in the scriptures that, that, that the, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And then it speaks of mercy. And mercy, again, is, it can also be uh, translated and is often used in, in terms of, of the covenant that God has established with his people in scripture uh, of, of steadfast love. So, so really what we have here is goodness and mercy or, or steady kindness and steadfast love. They follow me. And this word follow, it can be, when, when we talk about following in our language, you know, it can maybe sound a wee bit like meandering behind. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I follow Beck around the shops. I'm sure there's many of us here who think, yeah, I, I know someone who follows me around the shops as well. There is absolutely no intention, no purpose, other than me not trying to be lost in Debenhams when it was still open. Why I would follow Becca. I'm not that interested in the shops. I'm not committed. I'm not invested, but I'm following because I don't want her to spend too much money, but also I don't want to get lost in the aisles. But that's not what follow means here. Follow here can also be translated as goodness and mercy. They pursue me. How beautiful is that? They pursue me. It's not that they meander behind me and they you know, observe me from a distance. But they are intentionally pursuing after me. Changes how I understand these traits of God. That they aren't just merely observing or tailing from a distance, but there's an intention in it. I don't know if anyone here has been watching or even heard of uh, Jeremy Clarkson's farm on Amazon Prime. If you've not watched it, you should. It's very, very good. I was hooked. There's eight, CD, eight episodes in it, and there's a second season coming out very soon, I think, and I hope. But basically, Jeremy Clarkson, he, he has this massive, massive land in the Cotswolds, over a thousand acres. And the boy that used to look after his far, farm for him retired. And, and, and Clarkson said, do you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. I'm just going to learn to be a, a farmer uh, uh, overnight. What a terrible idea. And, and actually, it's very humorous. It's quite, it's quite funny to watch where he tries and learns how to do this. And you can just you see the guys that know what they're doing. And they just look at him going, what are you doing? And, and one of the things he does is he thinks it's a good idea to go and buy some sheep. But he doesn't want to splash out on um, anything to look after them. And he says, I'll just be able to look after them and manage them myself. And you see him running after the sheep, trying to herd them into this field and that field. And it's chaos. It is utter chaos. It just doesn't work. So what does he do? He buys a drone and he puts a voice box on it so that it can bark. 
and he stands at the corner of this field because he doesn't know how to look after a sheepdog and he gets and he uses his drone to run after the sheep and bark and it, impressively it works the first time and, and it does work you know one or two times but then the sheep twig on and they think that's just a bit of plastic in the sky and then he has to employ a shepherd and then he has to employ some sheepdogs to look after his sheep because you need sheepdogs if you have sheep but do you know what the amazing thing about our shepherd is We have sheepdogs described in Psalm 23. But it's not a drone in the sky. It's his love. It's his goodness and his mercy. They follow me. They shepherd me. They guide me. They intentionally pursue after me. The good shepherd's sheepdog is his goodness and his mercy. And then he says, I shall dwell. And what is amazing about Psalm 23 is that we have this summary of the, the, and this small glimpse into the hope of the gospel present within it. This is not just a one-off dinner party that the psalmist is describing. As Revelation 21 would go on and say later in, in the New Testament, that the dwelling place of God is with man. It is his passion to be with his people. It is his covenant motto, I will be their God and they will be my people. This is our hope. And this is what the gospel has secured for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember I said a few weeks ago that, 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 that in Psalm 23 and, and in David's life, David is basically what we call in theological terms a type of Christ. What that simply means is he symbolizes Jesus for us. There's parts of his life that we see mirror the Messiah who would come and we see it often in the Old Testament. But what David describes metaphorically here for us in the Psalm, Jesus would one day go on and live physically for us on our behalf. Remember, yes, Jesus is our good shepherd, but he was also made to be a lamb for us because he has suffered in every way that we do because he is our good high priest. He was a lamb that was led to the slaughter so he could identify with his sheep. We have the valley of the shadow of death, which Jesus experienced at the cross of Calvary. He experienced resurrection power three days later, which we see David describe when he speaks about the restoration of my soul. But also of the hope of exaltation that happens for those who are found in Christ when death comes or Jesus comes again to call us home. This exaltation that we see that a table is prepared, this banquet is prepared, and the secure eternal future we have in God's presence forevermore. Revelation also says in chapter 19 that blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in some ways, prophetically, that's what we see here in verses 5 and 6 in Psalm 23. And in Revelation chapter 7 tells us this. The Lamb is who? The Lamb is in the midst of the throne. And he will be their shepherd. One day, that hope becomes a lived reality for any who are found in Christ. After experiencing death in this life, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are welcomed on the other side of the valley as his special guest. 
As Jesus says in the Gospels, you are now my friends. Joel keeps asking what heaven is going to be like. You ever wondered why the Bible doesn't really describe heaven that much for us? There's a few bits here and there. But it doesn't really go into much detail about what it's going to look like. I think I've come to the understanding. The reason that is, is because it doesn't really matter what it looks like. It matters who's going to be there. Our lamb, our shepherd, our savior. The joy of heaven is Jesus. Not the promised streets of gold, but Jesus and his promised assurance of his eternal presence. That is what we long for. Just in closing, the house of the Lord in the Old Testament is the temple which no one would really live in. It was the temple. No one would really stay in it. But it's where God made his presence known to his people. Remember, it was the tabernacle they would carry around and then they had the temple which was guarded by the veil, which when Jesus died on the cross was torn in two. What David is simply saying here is, I will be in your presence forever. I want to be in your presence forever. David's focus isn't on what God can give him. But it's on God himself. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. David later says in Psalm 27, let us finish with these words. Let it be the cry and the prayer of our heart. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Let us pursue after his presence, knowing that he is pursuing after us with his mercy and his goodness. Amen. I'm just going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to, just Ian, sorry, we're going to sing our concluding item of praise this morning. And again, we'll stand to sing. And then after we've uh, finished our, our song, um, if you could just stay stand, standing and I will close with the benediction. And after the benediction, if you could just please sit down and then I'll give you some further instructions after that. So we'll stand to sing and sing when I survey. <laughs>